If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 is where we'll be. Thank you, worship team choir, for leading us. You know, Nancy, she leads children's choirs, singing saints, and man, she can sing a solo too. Well, I tell you what, she can about do everything. And so make sure you tell her what a great job she did today. Um, but today I want to talk about everyday relationships, specifically when it comes to those in our family, at work, and in the community, and what our disposition ought to be with authority or towards authority in those relationships. So let's begin here, Ephesians five twenty-one, and this is what we... Read. Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And slaves or bondservants, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Now last week, we saw that Jesus said that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In saying this, Jesus reveals a paradox. What's up is down, what's down is up. So what is the paradox? We saw this last week that success, peace, victory, eternal life even, 
marriages that last, families that are healthy, workplaces that are peaceful, communities that are strong, churches that flourish, will belong to those who live humility. In his blanket umbrella statement for this entire section, Paul said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or in other words, live humility. We're not to exert superiority over one another. We're to submit to one another. Because as I said last week, submission is the antithesis to superiority. It's the opposite. Submission is to superiority what humility is to pride. But this is extremely difficult for us. Because I'm fully convinced, not only the world, but the evil one attacks this idea of submission. So as to get us to believe that submission, ultimately, or in general, is a bad thing. It's a sign of inferiority. It's a sign of weakness. But listen to me. This attack on submission, at its root, is an attack on the cross. Because one of the key elements or themes of the cross is submission. Not my will, but thy will be done. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It's the paradox of the cross. It's why the cross is a stumbling block to the world. It's why it's foolishness. Those who oppose the cross see the cross as inferior and weak. But in reality, it was the submission of Jesus unto the Father that was not a sign of inferiority or weakness, but it was a declaration of a beautiful oneness between the Father and the Son and of an unstoppable power that even the devil himself could not keep contained. The world says, the devil says, submission, it's weakness. It's a sign of inferiority. God says, no, 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 no. Look at the cross. It's a sign of my power and wisdom. And so you and I are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. In the same way that Jesus submitted himself to the Father unto death, even death on a cross. And out of that humility, God exalted him to the highest position there is. For after, after all, Jesus said, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the great paradox. And Jesus calls us to do likewise. For example, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. They've just partaken of the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to do in just a few moments. And all of a sudden, a dispute rises among them. It wasn't the first time. I've often wondered who was the one who was the instigator in that. But a dispute rises among them, and it's about who is the greatest among them. Who should be calling the shots? Who's in control here? Whose opinion matters more? Whose, whose perspective is more important? Jesus responds to this dispute by saying, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. The word he used there was reserved for like the kings of Egypt. What Jesus is saying is, is that these rulers and kings in the world, they exert superiority over their people. We're better than you. We're more important than you. We're royalty. We're the boss. You're not. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. 
Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader become the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Jesus says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? Yes, that's how the world functions. That's how the world sees things. But Jesus then throws this out there and declares, but I am among you as the one who serves. It's the paradox. Jesus tells them the desire to dominate over another, to exert superiority over another, shall not be present among you. Not like it is with the world. Instead, as followers of Jesus, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because of who he is, what he has done, because of the example that he's shown us, and because he's called us to it. And what you and I need to hear today, as we saw all of that last week, what we need to hear today is that we are to live humility regardless of our role in the marriage, in the family, at work, in the community, in the church, and regardless of the earthly authority or the lack of earthly authority we possess in that role, we're still to live humility. You say, well, why? Because earthly authority does not equal superiority. Just because you have earthly authority over somebody does not mean you're superior than them or to them. And because the lack of earthly authority does not equal inferiority. Just because you're under someone else's earthly authority does not mean you're inferior or weak to them. I'll give you a great example, John 19. Jesus is before Pilate. Jesus is on trial. Pilate is weighing his options. And Pilate asks Jesus, hey, where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer. So Pilate says to him, what, you're not going to speak to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have authority to release you? And authority to crucify you? And that's true. He did have the earthly authority to do such things. But listen to Jesus' response. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Which means all earthly authority is God-given. And he has expectations for it. And there's a lot of big things we learn there, but one of which is that our earthly authority does not equal superiority. And that the lack of earthly authority does not equal inferiority in certain situations. Jesus is superior to Pilate. Yet he was submitting himself to Pilate's earthly authority out of reverence for the Father. Pilate had earthly authority over Jesus for a moment, but it did not mean that he was superior to Jesus, nor did it mean that Jesus was inferior to Pilate. So you may have earthly authority in your role, in your family, at work, in the community, but you are not superior to any other human being. And you may lack authority in that role, but you are not inferior to any other human being. And this is especially true in the church. Paul has already established we are one. Ephesians chapter 4, we are one, we are one, we are one, we are one. And to the Galatians, he made it clear, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free, we are one in Christ, under Christ, and for Christ. However, 
just like with spiritual gifts, we are at the same time diverse in respect to our earthly roles and in respect to the earthly authority that God gives us or doesn't give us in those roles. And so no matter who you are, at some point in time on this earth, you will have a position with earthly authority over others. You'll be a parent. You'll be a boss. You'll be a teacher. Or you will find yourself in a position under someone else's earthly authority. You'll be a child, right? You'll be an employee. There was a president, as the story goes, running for re-election. He was on the campaign trail. It was a long day. He hadn't had anything to eat. So here he is. He's at a church at night. It's a barbecue dinner, and they have this barbecue chicken. And the president, who's running for re-election, is going through the line just like everybody else, you know, just getting his food, getting his tray, and all that kind of stuff. And the lady behind the counter plops down one barbecue chicken on his plate. And he asks her, hey, can I have some more? Like, I'm really hungry. It's been that kind of a day. Can I have a little bit more? She said, no. He says, don't you know who I am? That's kind of like Pilate. Don't you know who I am? Like, what are you talking about? Don't you know who I am? She says this, do you know who I am? You may oversee the country, but I have the authority in this line, and I say, it's one chicken. I show no partiality, so move on. Again, no matter who you are, at some point... In time on this earth, you will have a position with earthly authority over others or a position under someone else's authority. Yet no matter the role or the authority, this is Paul's point, no matter the role or the authority, especially in the church, in all of it, you are to live humility. And you're to do this out of reverence for Christ. And Paul begins breaking this down by starting with the marriage. He says, wives... This is how you live humility. It's by submitting to your own husbands, ultimately, as he says there at the end, by respecting them. He's not telling women to submit to abusive husbands or to follow their husbands into a life of sin. But ladies, your natural desire, this goes all the way back to the beginning, part of the product of your flesh is to go against your husband, naturally, to exert yourself over your husband to rule over, to dominate your husband. Your natural tendency at the heart of it is to disrespect his masculinity, to strip him of his masculinity by attacking his God-given courage, strength, bravery, desire to be a warrior, a hero, a leader. And you multiply that with our perception in this culture is that masculinity is a bad thing. It's too aggressive. It's too dirty, it's too messy. But listen, Jesus was more masculine than any man will ever know. He showed all men and women what the male figure was meant to be. He was strong, courageous, brave. He was a warrior, a hero, a leader. He was a lion. And yet, he was humble. Kind and compassionate, patient, wise, loving, caring, generous. He was a lamb as well. He's the perfect image of a man, of what masculinity in perfect submission to God and in holiness was meant to be. And Jesus, without discarding roles, elevated women, especially in that culture, to equal status with men. After all, he says, through Paul, there is neither male nor female. We are 
one. And one is not more superior than the other. We are one flesh, wives and husbands. We are to submit to one another as to the Lord out of reverence for the Lord. So Jesus would say that natural desire, that natural tendency you have to dominate over the other or to disrespect the other's God-given image is not to be present among you. Instead, live humility. Husbands, your role, how you live humility, is to love your wives as Jesus loved us. Let that sink in. Because some men have taken this passage and twisted it, abused it, and used it to beat their wives and their families into a kind of submission that mirrors a dictatorship and mirrors nothing what God has in mind here. God is not empowering men to be dictators, to say and do whatever they see fit. What Paul is saying is that God gave the male the role of leadership so that the male would use his position of leadership not to express dominance or to exert superiority over his wife, but to love his wife just as Jesus loves the church. You are to take your role as a leader and lay down your life for your wife and for your children, just as Jesus did for his bride and his family. This is ultimately what it means to be masculine, to be a man, to take the courage, the strength, the bravery that God gave you, that warrior desire, that hero desire, that desire to lead, and to use it for the benefit of others, to serve others, to put others first, to lay down your life for others, beginning with your own wife the person most closest to you. Paul doesn't tell us who's to make the decision about who works and who stays at home. He doesn't say who's to handle the finances, about where we'll spend Christmas, about what sports our kids will play, about what we'll eat for dinner, who decides this or that. He says to submit to one another. You're one flesh. You're to be perfectly one as Jesus and the Heavenly Father are one. You're to respect each other. You're to love each other. No matter how hard that comes to you naturally, you're to live supernaturally now in Christ. And if you do this, if you have this kind of order among your marriage, it doesn't mean there won't be conflict, tension, or valleys or storms, but you will change your home forever. And that change has the potential to change the world forever, to have a generational impact on the earth. Children, you're to live humility by honoring your parents or your guardians, those in charge of feeding you, those in charge of clothing you, giving you a place to live. Respect them. Love them. Serve them. Do what they tell you to do. Now listen, if you're in an abusive situation or have come from that, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But children have to realize that this is for their own good, their own benefit. Like when our family goes out for walks with the kids before crossing the street, I'll tell Noah, Caroline, and Hannah, hey, stop, look both ways, and if there's a car, don't go out there. Why am I doing that? I'm not trying to annoy them. I'm not trying to disrupt their hopes and dreams, though they might think that. I'm doing it so that one day, 10 years from now, when they're with friends and I'm not around, and their friends are like, hey, let's go play in the street, My kids will hopefully think and decide that's not a good idea, bad things will happen. What I'm wanting to teach them is discernment, caution and wisdom, to know when to step out and when not to, to know right from wrong, safety from danger, along with other things like character or work ethic. 
Children, respecting, serving, loving, and obeying your parents or guardians is not your downfall. It's for your benefit. It's for your own good. Now and in the years to come. So do it. Do these things in the Lord as to the Lord. And Paul also mentions bondservants here. Now many have asked, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? Outright, point blank right here and there. Because people have used these verses to do wicked things to people, to humans, even today. I don't know, but I do know this. At the time Paul wrote this, a third of the world estimated at that time were slaves. And this wasn't race-based. This was a lot of different things based. Some were simply just paying a debt off the way that you were owned by the bank and paying your debt off. Some were truly seen as property, born into it. Some willingly became bond servants to better their situation in life because they became a part of that family. So what Paul is doing here is he's addressing the reality of what was and how to live within the arena of what was. He's not giving justifiable reasons here for people to do horrific, wicked things to other people or even to own people. Paul's overall purpose here is to acknowledge that in the culture, in this world, there's going to be systems in place to which people are going to have earthly authority over you. Even in free societies. I don't have the freedom to go do whatever I want, when I want. There's authority over me. There's laws. There's governments. There's police. Paul acknowledges these systems, but he also acknowledges how we're to live within those systems. Show respect, work hard, serve, be diligent, be sincere, love, be humble, be wise. And to know that some people are going to have a position of authority over you. But whatever you do, as he told the Colossians, do it in the name of the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men because you're serving the Lord. Now, I do want to mention this. If those over you, if you're a child, you're an employee, you're a citizen, if they are twisting their God-given authority, using that authority to abuse you, to break the law, to force you to do things that go contrary to God's will or his word, to force you to stop doing things that God has told you to do, what do you do? There's a few things, I think. Number one, challenge that authority to the best of your ability with the options available to you. There is a proper, godly way for challenging that authority, but challenge it. As Paul said elsewhere, if you can obtain your freedom, get your freedom. Esther, if she doesn't stand up to the king using her options available to her to challenge his authoritative decision, then all the Jews in the land die. In the book of Acts, if the apostles don't keep on speaking and teaching and preaching what they've been told by the authorities to not do, you and I probably aren't meeting like this. Sometimes you have to say what the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men, and that can be true of a husband or a wife. I'm convinced God gives people certain earthly authority for certain reasons during certain times, for example, Pilate, as we saw. God also puts you under certain authority for certain reasons during certain times. And sometimes it's for you to challenge that authority or to expose that, that authority. Go see the life of Samuel. 
Other times, and this is really, really rare, it's for you to submit to that authority in order to overthrow that authority or to expose that authority. See the cross of Jesus. More often than not, though, this won't be the case, and I pray it's not for us, but ultimately we're to work hard, to be humble, to serve, to be honest, to be kind and generous, to show respect, whether you're a child, an employee, a citizen, a student. Show respect. Love, serve, be sincere. Now, as for those in positions that carry earthly authority over others, parents, guardians, grandparents, fathers, masters, in our context, it might be a boss or a coach or some other leader. If you're in the position of earthly authority over others, you're to live just as they're called to live. You're to live humility by not using that position to provoke those under you to anger or discouragement or to depression or to sin. Instead, you're to respect them, love them, direct them to the Lord in the best of your ability. Especially parents, especially fathers. Don't be the cause for your child's stumble. Don't be the cause for their anger, for their discouragement. Don't exasperate your kids, he says. In other words, you had better not be the reason they turn from the Lord. Now, you may do everything right and they still turn from the Lord, but you had better not be the reason they turn from the Lord. Don't be the reason they love sports more than Jesus. Don't be the reason they see work and family is more important than Jesus. Don't let them spend more time on video games and entertainment than they do with Jesus. You had better not cause the little ones to stumble, Jesus would say. Instead, you're to train them, instruct them, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As Paul would tell Titus, train them to renounce ungodliness. Train them to renounce worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Correct their behaviors, correct their beliefs, steer them in the direction they should go. Give counsel about avoiding or stopping an improper course of conduct. Be careful what books you read them, what movies you let them watch, what situations you place them in, what things you teach them, and so on. As one person said, good parents employ discipline that both instructs in the right ways to live and counsels against the harmful ways. You're to respect your kids. You're to love them. You're to instruct and train them in the way they should go, doing everything you can to steer them towards a love for Jesus and a life lived for Jesus to the best of your ability. As for anyone else, these masters he talks about, and anyone else in a position of earthly authority over others, the same is true for you. Treat those under your earthly authority with respect. Treat them with love, humility, service, things that Seemingly, no one can seem to do, especially in the big culture that we live in today. Seek to direct them to the Lord at all costs, to the best of your ability. But overall, we must know that diversity in roles and authority is necessary. And that how else will we maintain order and structure as we live and navigate this life? There was an old show called The Super Nanny. Some of you might have watched this, this British reality show. The nanny would come in and help fix these families. 
They were struggling with the kids running the house. Things were a mess. The marriage was a mess. And you would watch these families. You would see these families in action. And the children just running wild over their parents. And as you would watch this, something in you just naturally screams, that's not right. Something's wrong. What was wrong is that the concept of authority and order had been thrown out the window, leaving chaos and disorder a mess. The concept of a parent telling a child, you go do you. Let me know how that works. Whether we're talking about the home or society, you cannot escape the concept of authority and roles and limitations. They'll always be there. Someone will always be in a position of authority over others. Someone will always be in a position under someone else's authority. And in many ways, we need this. If we throw authority and order out the window, there will be chaos and disorder. That's just how the structure of the home and the world works. And we can take this for granted. We can walk up to a sports team and we expect to see a coach. We can walk into a company and we expect to see a boss, someone in charge. We can walk into a classroom, we expect to see a professor. We can walk into a home and we expect to see parents or a parent or a guardian. And if you don't see that person, you ask, hey, who's in charge here? Who's calling the shot? Who, who has the authority here? If I'm in a restaurant and you ask for the manager because you're upset about something, what you're asking for is, who is the person who has the authority over the situation? We can take this for granted. And we can take it for granted that when there ceases to be authority, when there ceases to be roles and limitations, things crumble. There's chaos, there's disorder. Just take away the boss, just take away the teacher, just take away the coach, just take away the parents, the manager. It's a mess. And the evil one in the world tells us, no, 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 you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. Your options are limitless. Boundaries and parameters and hierarchy, forget about it all. Who's to tell you that you can't do that? And they tell us this limitless world is freedom. You don't need to submit. But this type of message and worldview actually lived out is like those houses on the super nanny. It doesn't produce freedom. It suffocates. It imprisons us. It produces ruin. It's terrible. Boundaries and limitations, roles and authority are good, not bad. They're necessary for any institution to be healthy and successful and functional. But it's deeper than just roles and authority. For as we learn from Jesus, success, peace, victory, eternal life, marriages that last, families that are healthy, workplaces that are peaceful, communities that are strong, churches that flourish, will belong to those who despite their role or their earthly authority in the family, at work, in the community, in the church. It will belong to those who live humility. Those who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what I want us to do right now is just bow our heads and get our hearts and minds ready for the Lord's Supper. And to do that, Paul talks about getting our hearts and our minds right, but I also want us to just come to the cross collectively in our hearts and minds and just view submission in a whole new light. Earthly authority does not equal superiority. The lack of earthly authority does not equal inferiority. Ask yourself, have I been truly submitting myself to one another out of reverence for Christ? Have I been respecting my husband? Have I been loving my wife? Have I been respecting that parent or guardian? Have I been respecting my boss and those over me? 
those that God has placed with an earthly authority over mine. Ask God, am I submitting to one another out of reverence for him? And if not, what needs to change? Come to the cross, and as you do, I'm going to invite our deacons down to get ready for the Lord's Supper. But collectively, let's just go to the Lord as they come down.